Hello and welcome to the Confidence Mastery podcast. Today we have the incredible public speaker trainer, Peter George, joining us all the way from Rhode Island. Thank you very much for joining us today, Peter. Pleasure to be here, Natalie. I'm so excited to speak with you, um, partly because when I was looking up what you do, you, you help people to get rid of ums and ahs, and I just ummed. <laughs> <laughs> An occasional um or ah doesn't hurt anything. I think that's one of one of the things a lot of people that I speak to about public speaking, they're saying, well, how do I stop umming? How does one stop umming? Well, it, it's it's a natural thing to do, which is why so many of us do it. But it's also an irritating thing. Mm-hmm. And for those of your listeners who are old enough to remember blackboards and screeching nails down blackboards, That's what it does to us while we're thinking. The speaker gives us something to think about. And then while we're thinking, they say, um, uh, ah, and interrupt our train of thought. Mm. So your brain's basically saying to the speaker, you're giving me things to think about, and then you don't let me think. And that's why it's irritating when there's a lot of them. The way to get rid of it is one, realize you're doing it. And one of the ways to do that is go to the pet store. And buy a dog training clicker. It's click, 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 click. Give it to someone who is going to take this semi-seriously. Yeah. So often that's not your significant other because they'll have way too much fun with it. (laughs) And every time you say, um, in a a daily basis, but especially if you're trying to uh, rehearse a presentation and you say, um, they go click, 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 click. And that'll bring it to your consciousness because we say um and ah and right and so and you know and all those things at a subconscious level or an unconscious level. So we really don't recall it when people say we do. So just have them click it. That'll bring it to the conscious level. And after a while, you'll start to realize how often you do it. And then you'll tend to stop doing it. It's not going to go away in an hour, but it really, if you do it diligently in a week, it would pretty much be gone that is a very smart tip yeah and and the reason we do it is our brain knows we're supposed to pause and let people think but our brain also often doesn't like silence so it throws in those little annoying sounds that's all that is well that's that's an incredible way to start the podcast thank you very much do you want to give people a little bit of background into you because i just find i just find what you do fascinating Yeah, you know, people will ask, how did you get into public speaking and how did you get into public speaking coaching? Mm -hmm. The last thing I ever wanted to do when I was young was to get into public speaking. I grew up in a city, Providence, Rhode Island, in the U.S., and I had a lisp and a stutter as a child. And when you have two speech impediments, you don't really want to talk to anybody. Your family, maybe your closest friends, but I didn't speak in school. I didn't answer any teacher's questions. They knew I wouldn't. And uh, the way I got around that and not be picked on was I became fairly proficient in sports. I played football, baseball, and hockey. So I played year round. And if you were good in sports, you didn't get picked on. And that was not only did I love sports, it was a defense. Yeah. When I got to high school, I was pretty much through with my lisp and my stutter. I'd gone through a lot of therapy and they subsided. They're still there. You can hear them every once in a while, but not too often. But I still didn't want to speak to people. So how do you get to public speaking? When I went into the corporate world out of school, I had to present. And I said to my boss, I don't want to present. And he said, but you have to or you lose your job. So I went and got help. And I got group coaching. And Mm -hmm. I found out how much I'd been studying speaking my whole life. I just studied it from the side of I don't want to speak. I don't want to communicate. And then I went for help with a single coach, one-on-one coaching, and that changed my life. And then I left the corporate world and realized when I spoke, when I started my own company, when I spoke, our revenue increased. Mm -hmm. And my wife, who's an accountant, who was my partner in the business, said, keep doing that. Keep going out and speaking and we make more money. Yeah. So I did. And that just grew and grew and grew. And about 18 years ago, 
people started coming to me, younger people than I, and they would they would come to me and say, how did you do that? Or why did you do that? I like the way the audience react and so forth. These were other speakers or aspiring speakers. And I would help them. And I realized how much I help. I love doing that as well. Mm. So I both speak and a speaking coach. Amazing. Overcoming that kind of adversity and, you know, ha having turned that impediment, if you like, into a way of life and a way to make money and something you enjoy is just absolutely phenomenal. I'm, I'm sure you're very proud of yourself. You should be. <laughs> I probably should be. I, I just think, you know, that's just the way life took me. Ah. You know, I don't think it's anything special. Um, and it really isn't. It's just ironic and coincidental. I think it's special because a lot of people would use that to, to hold them back and keep that fear to keep them in one place. And this is one of the things that people do struggle with. You know, it said that public speaking is more feared than death. And yeah, um, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you're 30,000 feet up in the air in a silver tube and it starts going towards Earth. You'd rather be on stage. If you're yeah. in a dark alley with a gun to your head, you'd much rather be in a conference room presenting. Mm -hmm. So if death is still the number one fear when people sit and think about it, we just don't face it every day. That's a fair point. Mm -hmm. We face public speaking every single day. Formally mm -hmm. sometimes, not formally most of the time, but it's still public speaking. Yeah, because a lot of public speaking, it's not necessarily just standing on a stage in front of people, is it? It's one-to-one, -one, it's group chat, It's there's so much more to it. And, and yeah, it's all of those. Communication is going to make you, well, more money. <laughs> and have yeah, better relationships. Be, it can be one person across a desk or a table, 12 people in a conference room, 100 people in a breakout room, 1,000 people in an auditorium. Any of that is public speaking. And the funny thing is, we think of public speaking and presenting as what a one-way thing. So when we have two people across a, a desk, we don't think that a public as public speaking. We think of that as a conversation. But public speaking and presenting is actually a conversation, even if the audience isn't answering. Mm. We we tend to think of it as this presentation is vomiting words on people where it's actually a two-way conversation the ones that matter and the ones that truly engage the other person or other people yeah are two-way even though you're the only one talking it's getting your audience to i like the way you put this actually to transform the audience yeah we speak to inform right oh i have to yeah. do a presentation i'll tell them this i'll tell them this i'll tell them this and that's a problem because again that goes back to just vomiting words on people when we transform people, well, let me ask you this, Natalie, have you ever gone into, let's say, a 60 minute meeting and you leave that meeting thinking, oh, my God, I'll never, ever, ever get that hour back in my life. It yep. was a complete waste of time. We've all been there. And that's because whoever called that meeting and facilitated that meeting wanted to inform. But if you leave the same way you come in and you just might happen to have a little more information, that's a complete waste of time, generally. I mean, you could put that on a PDF and email it to someone. The idea is not to inform people, it's to transform people. They should leave whatever it is, a meeting, a conference, a podcast, they should leave differently than when they came in. If they didn't, send them an email. Just as oh. good. Yes. A lot less time. <laughs> Talking of that, um, we used to have somebody back in my corporate days, they would send an email and then come and tell us they'd sent an email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. Yeah, my can read, can read that, my mom used to do that with uh, voice recordings, you know, a recording machine for our phone. Yeah. She'd leave the message and then call back and say she left a message. <laughs> like, mom, I have to hear the message before I hear that you left me a message. Wow. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's just people wanting to make sure we get things. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> is your mom proud of what you do? She was. She's passed now, but she was. You know, and, and I use my mom in a certain way because people will say, well, you know, people come and hear me speak because it's me. And, and any of us might say that. Yeah. And I'm the speaker. It's about me. The thing is, it's never about you as a speaker, which is a good thing. I'll explain why in a minute. 
But I like to say the only person on earth who would ever go somewhere to hear me speak just because it was me was my mom. And she's gone. So there's no one left on this planet, not my wife, not my kids. They've all heard me speak way too much. They won't even come to hear me just because it's me. So we have to get that in our heads that it's not about us. It's about the audience. And when we make it about us, if we're comfortable with speaking and we make it about us, we might come off as cocky, uh, arrogant, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. If we're not comfortable with public speaking, and we make it about us, that's when we say, what if I make a mistake? What if I forget what I'm going to say? What if I can't engage them? What if they don't like me? Mm-hmm. And we make it I, 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 me, me, me. And we put all that weight on our shoulders. No wonder people are nervous about public speaking. Mm-hmm. Take the weight off your shoulders. It's not about you. You're helping others. You're taking them from where they are to another place that mm-hmm. benefits them. So. It's nice. You know, I, I joke that people pay me to tell them it's not about them. <laughs> like, thank you for money, your money. It's not about you. And, but it's not an insult. It's reality. And yeah. it's helpful. You're there to help people when you speak. Simple as that. I've always said that as well. If when you take the emphasis off of yourself and put it on to the audience, it does take some pressure away from you and knowing that you're there to serve. It's, it's a nice feeling. You hit the word right on the head. You're there to serve. What's what's been like the the best thing that you've learned as um, as a trainer, as a coach to help other people? Wow, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. The (laughs) yeah, the greatest thing is patience and support. Yeah, people come in; they are nervous. They're nervous for a lot of reasons. They're nervous because they might not. Uh, enjoy public speaking right now and know they have to get better at it. It could be that they enjoy public speaking, but they're afraid of embarrassing themselves in front of someone that knows what they're doing. And I try very diligently at the very beginning to put them at ease. Mm. And I still say, I'm just a poor kid from Providence, Rhode Island, that no one has to impress me. You know, it's, 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 I grew up with not a lot of money. I wasn't from a wealthy family or anything. Uh, I'm I'm just a, a kid like anybody else was. I'm just happen to be a lot older now, but uh, it's just that empathy, patience, but mostly support. Of yeah. this is just me and you. You know, this is where you get to screw up. This is where you get to make mistakes. This is, and you'll always make mistakes, and that's fine. But this is where you get comfortable with it. And once that happens, we have a great relationship. I really enjoy working with my clients. And I work with people all over the world. Yeah. If they're if they're in New England, the New England area in the United States, we generally meet in person. Other than that, we meet on Zoom. But I have clients in China, Australia, the Netherlands, Poland, England, nice. South America. Do you find that there's a different way of speaking across the across different countries? Yeah, there is. There is. There's in Western culture, and I'll throw Australia in with Western culture because it, it truly is for yeah. the most part. It It's a certain way. Eastern culture is a little different. It's a little shyer, if you will. It's not quite out there as much, not as much eye contact. And when I work with people, let's say in mainland China, a lot of those people are looking for Western type skills because they know at one point or another in their career, they'll be working in the West. Mm-hmm. So they're, whether it's Europe, U.S., or wherever it might be. So they want those particular skills. And they do change a little. And, you know, truthfully, we ha- once we get comfortable together, we have a little fun with the differences and, and working on them. And, and for, over the years, it's been, I wonder why it was developed that way in a certain area and this way in a certain area and our way in this area why those were developed that way. And it's it's kind of a fun study in history and culture as much as it is in public speaking. Yeah, I love that, like culture, traveling, seeing the way that different different countries, the way people live their lives and seeing like what I can take from that and bring to my own life. What would be something that you think from 
the the east would be better for us as public speakers in the west it's another good question wow you come up with some questions i've never been asked before winner <laughs> the east often has it built in that you're there to serve the audience mm. and that's their culture and i worked for a japanese company for nine years and uh, that was their culture, that you're you're there for the others. Now, they were also very particular that you spoke to the senior senior person first and then went down in seniority, and you better know who those people are and who to speak to first. But other than things like that, that protocol, when you're speaking, it was truly to help others mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm here for you to look at me. So sometimes maybe in the West we get a little, you know, I'm in the spotlight. Yeah, it's about me. And in the East, that generally doesn't happen. So we could we could have a little more humility, maybe. A little more. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes for cockiness, too. Sometimes sometimes that comes in handy. Uh, But, you know, sometimes in a mindset, you have to have a little bit of, yeah, I'm up here for a reason. And you are. You didn't win a lottery to get up and speak, even if you don't want to get up and speak. You didn't win the lottery to do that. You're up there because someone asked you to because they see something in you. Mm. They know you have the talent, the information, the ability, whatever it is, to serve others. And so the mindset is not, oh, my God, I have to speak or I have to present. The mindset should be, I get to. Mm -hmm. I get to. In this one life we have, I get to go out and help others in this way. And that's the reason I do it. That's the reason when I say, how did I ever get here? It's to help others. And uh, Natalie, you can see a a fire helmet, a firefighter's helmet over my shoulder. That was my dad's. And I have all my dad's helmets. But that's Mm -hmm. the most important one to me because that's the oldest one. Plus, it's all beat up. That's back when they were metal and brass and everything else. Uh, A ceiling fell on his head in a fire, and that helmet saved his life. So that helmet's all beat up, and that's the one that's there. I wanted to serve like my dad did. I wanted to be my dad. I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to serve the way he did. He knew that wasn't for me. He knew the college route and the corporate route is what was best for me. And he stared me that way. Didn't force me, but stared me that way. And I can't help people the way my dad did, so I help them the way I can. That's beautiful. You've given me goosebumps. Yeah. And and a lot of the people I help, I'll never see it come to fruition. You know, I work with, say, if I work with a 25-year-old, by the time they hit their prime spot in business, maybe 40, 45 years old, I'll be gone. You don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I won't see that. I, I highly doubt I'll live another 20 years. I'm 65. So and and people in my family don't live a long time. So but uh, I won't see that. But I know I help them and I know I help help them not just in presenting and in business, because not all of my clients present for business. Sometimes it's to help with other things or talk about their careers in sports or whatever it might be. But with that said, by the time they hit their stride, the prime of their careers, when they can achieve those goals, that helps in other parts of their lives. Let's say they get the income they want. Now they can buy that uh, house in Spain, you know, Mallorca. You know, they, can, they can travel the world. They can buy that sailboat they wanted. So it goes much further than just becoming a better speaker, more effective speaker. Mm-hmm. And I may or may not see that, but it's a cool thing either way. It really is. You, the, the way you help to change people's lives, it's, like you say, it isn't just one thing. It has a compound effect and, and also a knock-on effect. And, and those people will always remember having worked with you as well. Right. Yep. So, so you, you're creating a legacy for so many different things, channeling through public speaking. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a nice, nice way to make a living. Yeah. Well, that's good you enjoy it. I'm glad that you enjoy it. <laughs> I do, I do. So many people don't enjoy what they do. And I, I never used to enjoy what I did. I, I left sixth form college and like I went from job to job to job to job because I didn't know what I wanted to do, which is why I ended up on a plane to Mallorca thinking I'd be here for three months and we're in 2023 now. 
I've had a good life when it comes to work. I've had a, a, a real fortunate, very fortunate, very lucky, a lot of things going right. Mm. And I joke that I've never applied to a job since I worked at McDonald's when I was 16. It's the only job I ever applied to, which was just fill out this form and yeah. you're working. Even at Sony, they came to me. So, uh, yeah, I've it, it, I've been fortunate. I, like that. I haven't applied for a job for over a decade either. So, yeah. yeah. Good, good on, good, good on us for that. <laughs> yeah, lucky. Um, speaking of interviews, though, this public speaking can definitely help with thinking about, you know, if if you want to get a new job and using those skills. I liked what you said earlier about it being a conversation with the audience. I like to think of interviews like you, you know, you're there to see if you want the job as much as if you're the right fit. So it's a two way street. How, how right. do you recommend that people connect with their audience rather than just vomiting words? There are, there are several ways to connect with them. One is questions. When we ask someone a question, even if it's a rhetorical question, the people who hear that question respond to it. Think about if you were sitting somewhere, you're out having a, a morning cup of coffee out in a cafe on the street. And you can hear other people speaking, other people sitting there having their coffee. And one says, what's your favorite movie? You know what you're going to think about? What your favorite movie is. You're not even in on the conversation. We answer questions. So if you want to get people engaged, and even when we eavesdrop, we get engaged to questions. We answer questions. Mm -hmm. Another is tell a story. When you tell a story we see ourselves in that story no different than going to a movie we get totally engrossed in what's happening tell stories and anecdotes as well the difference between anecdotes and stories is stories generally anyway stories have conflict Mm. boy meets girl boy loses girl boy gets girl back they live happily ever after hollywood's been playing that in one form or another for over a hundred years if it were boy meets girl they live happily ever after that's not a good movie (laughs) there's always that conflict and the conflict of losing the girl or losing the other person is not the only conflict then it becomes am i not good enough for her should i have not even tried i'm not in her class of uh of people and and now it's all the head things the Mm -hmm. head games going on so there's all different types of conflict in hollywood and other movie makers give us various type of conflicts same thing with novels so tell stories we love stories stories you heard as a five-year-old going to bed that your your parents or your grandparents read to you you can still remember you might not remember them perfectly but you can take a pretty good shot at them yeah yeah they they, they stay in your memory don't they yep. looking right there i don't remember actually don't remember much being read to bed but i do remember my nan making me three bowls of porridge in the morning like goldilocks i had long blonde hair and yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah and and she did that for me and that that memory that's that story that connection it's created an anchor so it's always something i now look back on and smile so i really like that because then people will then play that story remember that time of you and then think about something that it relates to with them yep and again you don't have to remember a story perfectly like i told about my my dad that anecdote about my dad and wanting to be my dad and if someone said why does this guy peter uh why is he a public speaker i don't know you want something about his dad his dad helped people he wanted to help people as well so he could be like his dad that's all. They don't have to say he, the dad was a firefighter and yeah. Peter, you know, wasn't meant to be a firefighter. He's meant for, they don't have to remember that. They just have to remember the essence or the moral of the story. And that engages people. Yeah. How do people pick out those bits to tell others? The easiest way I find, because when people ask me anything about me, other than things I've gotten used to over the years of this is how I got into this and the like. But I'll I'll have someone ask me a question about me and I have to tell a story or something. 
And I'll think, I have no story for that. And then I ask my wife, I say, give me an instance where this has happened. She's like, one, I can give you 10. <laughs> you know, this happened like, oh, I like that story. That's right. And she goes, but this one, I'm like, oh, I like that story even better. I'll tell that one. Because sometimes we can't recall them or they didn't mean much to us. And people seeing it from another perspective saying, my wife says that all the time. How can you not think of that? That's so obvious that this happened. I'm like, yeah. oh, just couldn't recall that or it didn't i didn't see it from that perspective so uh, the moral here is ask other people who know yeah. you they'll help you out real quickly yeah because they see they see things through their eyes not our eyes and we can't exactly. always you know we can't see the wood for the trees sometimes and feed feedback as well feedback's so important i used to hate the idea of say watching my videos back or filming a talk and then watching that or listening to a podcast and I'm just used to cringe at the sound of my own voice and I know so many people do this and if you're listening you're probably thinking I could never listen to myself back but when you do you get over that cringe and then look for places to improve and um, I did some more speaker training recently as well and the feedback for me was the best bit because I thought well how now I know where I can improve upon next time right so, I know how I got to that place where I'm comfortable with getting feedback. What tips would you give to other people for getting comfortable or uncomfortable with receiving feedback so they can improve? Video is amazing. I use video with my clients. It's amazing. The reason is, and you're right, no one wants to watch it at first. When I first use it with my clients, they're like, oh, I don't want to see myself. I don't want to hear myself. I'm going to look terrible. And then when they realize how powerful it is, mm -hmm. the next session, are we going to put this on video? And I don't critique it first. I let them critique it for a couple of reasons. One is I don't want to be sitting there going, you did this well, you didn't do that well, whatever. I mm -hmm. let them do it first. And, and they're usually tougher on themselves than I would ever be on them. Mm -hmm. But it also, with that old saying, you know, if you really want to learn something, teach it they're starting to teach themselves. And that's what I want because we're only going to be together for a certain amount of time. Yeah. I want them to learn how they can critique themselves. But when you record yourself on video, and here's the reason it's so powerful. When you go for golf lessons, they record you. So I could have a golf coach saying to me, Peter, you have a hitch in your swing. No, I don't. Peter, I'm watching you. You have a hitch in your swing. No, I don't. Peter, watch the video. Hey, look at that. I have a hitch in my swing. <laughs> so, you know, we can't rationalize it out of our heads. We have to say, yeah, you know, obviously I do. What do we do about that? But so record yourself rehearsing. You have a presentation to do. Record yourself rehearsing. But the key, Natalie, is how you play it back. Mm -hmm. Play it back in three ways. First, turn up the sound and put well first of all record on your phone just hit the video record prop it up yeah. record yourself when you play it back turn the volume up and flip the phone upside down so you can't see the screen all you can hear is your voice are you pausing which is extremely important when you make a point pause so people can digest and internalize what you said are you pausing are you umming Oring, uh, right, so, you know, all those words, too much. Write that down. Take all the notes you can take throughout your talk. Now play it back again, but this time turn the sound off and watch it only. And watch your body and your face. I am I pacing? Do I look like I'm angry at the world? You know, so am I smiling and and maybe you're rehearsing a eulogy and maybe you don't want to be having a big smile. But when I gave my mom's eulogy, I it, my mom's death was not unexpected. So I had a blast with my mom's eulogy. I celebrated her life. So I knew I wanted to smile, even though I knew there'd be tears. I wanted to smile through those tears. And. That's what you want to look at. What's my body doing? Is it agreeing with what I'd be saying right now? And then the third way is the normal way. Play it back with the audio and video. But by that time, you probably have all the notes you need. You might just pick up another one or two watching the, both audio, hearing the audio and watching the video at the same time. That's 
Very powerful. I like it is. that. It's it's a huge tool. Best thing ever invented was the smartphone, as far <laughs> as speakers go. Yeah. Other than maybe the microphone, which allows you to contact connect with more people. people probably yeah. other than that, the best thing ever invented for speakers is the phone. Fine, smartphone. So, yeah. Worst thing ever invented for speakers is the spotlight. Because <laughs> You just we get think. so hot, don't you? Well, you get hot and you think, look at that. I'm in the spotlight. I'm cool. They're here for me. No, they're not. No, they're there for themselves. Yep. Ultimately, when you people listen to podcasts or people go to events, they're there because they want to learn something or they want to network, which means they want to, to connect with people. So the fact that it could be you or me stood up there, it doesn't matter to them i mean sometimes people do go just for certain speakers but it's because they want to learn and i think we can learn a lot from that as speakers to say like like we said earlier yeah i'm here to deliver i'm here to serve and and having the, the confidence in your own knowledge and all, your own skills is going to be the thing that you know that does help to make you stand out from the crowd so that it is you that they want to come to for the next stage exactly you know that and that's how you have to look at it the more you can look at it that way and people go really but you know they're not even when they say well i'm going to see some ex speaker who charges a lot of money many people are familiar with tony robbins yeah uh, in the us they definitely are but in a lot of parts of the world they're familiar with tony robbins the self-help guru mindset guru costs a lot of money to see tony robbins speak mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, they spend money to go see Tony Robbins. No, they don't. They go spend that money to get what you get from Tony Robbins. No differently than when you go to the grocery store. Do you go so you can give the grocery store money? Is that the reason you're going? <laughs> and you can see their aisles and you can see their new flooring and you can see their, their lights up above? No. You go to buy food to sustain your life and food to enjoy it as well. Yeah. So. You're there for your reasons, not the grocery store's reasons. My audiences are there for their reasons, not me. I'm there to provide them, just like the, the grocery store, I'm there to provide them what they came for. Yeah. What a brilliant analogy. Excuse that's, me? That's a brilliant analogy. Like, well, thank just, you. Like, you just made me go. Because this is a face that that's like you're absolutely 100% right. And anybody listening, I'm sure they'll agree. And next time they go buy food, they'll be thinking of this conversation. Yeah, if you go see a movie, you're not there to make Tom Cruise even more millions of dollars. No. You're there to get entertained. If you go to a concert, I'm a huge Eric Clapton fan. When I go to see Eric Clapton, I'm not there to make him more of a multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. I'm there to get the enjoyment I get from his music. So we go and spend money. We go and do things sometimes because we need to, mm -hmm. but most of the time, and even then it's what we get out of it. Even when you go to the hospital, you're not there and go, wow, you know, I'm here for this doctor. No, you're there because you have a broken arm and it needs to get mended. Mm -hmm. We go places, we spend money, we spend time, we spend resources for us. Yes. And that's what your audience is doing. And they'll be listening to this thinking, that's what I came to learn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when you start to look at it that way, I mean, are there techniques for public speaking? Yes, there are. But it's that mindset that most matters. That's when you put in the extra time. And that's what you should also do, Natalie. A lot of people won't put in the time to rehearse and practice. Put in that time, because if you're not, you're going to be that much more nervous mm. when you do it in actuality, when you make that presentation. But let's take it from this point of view. Disrespect. People took their time, even if they were made to, even if your boss calls a, a, a meeting and you're presenting in that meeting. All right. They were made to be there. They have no choice. They have to be there. But they still took their time to be there. They're there to get something. They don't want to waste their time. Mm. Yet I don't rehearse. So what I'm doing is I'm giving them a first draft. When you were in college, how many first drafts did you hand in when you had to hand in a paper? I don't think I did. No. 
If no. you wrote an article for the local newspaper, no. would you hand in the first draft? Absolutely not. No, none of us would. Hopefully none of us would. So why do we do it when we speak? Mm. We hand in our first draft. And it's Make, not going to be the best, is it? No. You're practicing on their time. And if they paid to come see you, you're practicing on their money. Let's go back to me paying money to see Eric Clapton. If I spend the ridiculous amount of money these people ask for concerts now, and he's rehearsing <laughs> for the first time, he and his band, yeah. I'm not happy. <laughs> Absolutely. And they do practice. And it's the same with running lines and actors. They don't, you know, they retake and retake. And you, you do, you practice. I used to do theatre. And you wouldn't just do the, <laughs> just go go on the off. What's No, I mean, think about going to the West End in London or Broadway in, in New York. And again, foolish amounts of money to go see a, a top-rated play. And they hadn't rehearsed. You drop $1,000 or the equivalent to sit in the front row. And they hadn't rehearsed. You're human. Oh, you'd want your money back. Yeah. What's the best way for people to rehearse then? I mean, they might, you must have some tips. Yeah, give yourself time. Yeah. And use the phone, like I said, but... A, a huge key is to give yourself time. And here's why. You don't want to do it. What a lot of people say is, well, I'll do it a couple of nights before or the night before. I'll just stand there and do it again and again and again. No, you don't get to make it you. You're just reading at that point, whatever it might be. You want to give yourself time. Plus, if you want stories, which I suggest you do, mm -hmm. you want time to find the right story. It might be a story you have within you, but if you give yourself time, you can be driving along in the car, hear the news, and they talk about something. You go, oh, wow, that's my story. But if you don't start thinking about it and rehearsing it and getting it together well in advance, you don't have time to pull those things in. Mm. That's a really good point. The more time you give yourself, other things might happen. And yeah. to get in the way as well. So you, you need to factor that in. Yeah, let's go back to movies. You know, we, we hear you know, this movie took four months to film. What they don't tell you is the person or people, basically the company, that goes out and finds all the locations. So they're going, uh, you know, they're going from Hollywood to the Sahara and this little spot in the Sahara, which is absolutely perfect for this scene. They have to scout those locations. That might take months. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying to take months to rehearse, but there are things you need to do in the background that we don't see. And when we leave and we go, wow, that speaker spoke right to me. Mm -hmm. That speaker was spending time you don't even think about gathering that information and, and making it engage you and help you. And that takes time. Do that. And just keep remember, I'm going to, and when you do that, you have a tremendous amount of confidence when you present because yeah. you know it's going to resonate with people and help them get from where they are to where they want to be. Mm -hmm. Give yourself time. Do you think that helps then with the fear? It certainly does. Yeah. Like I said, you have the confidence because you know this is going to be a cool thing. Does it have to be perfect? No. Is it going to be perfect? No. But don't strive for perfection. Strive for connection. Mm. Strive to connect with your audience. And again, that comes from being rehearsed, telling stories, asking questions, getting them engaged, getting them to be part of that conversation, even though they're not answering. Because they are. They're just not answering out loud. Out loud. Like people nod along, don't they? Put their hands up, nudge the person next to them. Um, yeah, you can look. Oh, it, one of the things people say to me is, I, I don't want to look at my audience. It makes me nervous. Like, no, you want to, because it actually lowers your nerves. Mm. If I'm looking out there and I'm nervous and people say, well, look over everybody. Well, if you and I were talking, let's say you and I are sitting down just over a table having a conversation. And during that whole conversation, I'm looking up over your head instead of in your eyes. Are you going to feel comfortable? Nope. Gonna be. Why are we not connecting here? Why does he not want to look at me? Why is he? Is there something behind me? What's going on? Same thing. But here's what you get 
just like in that conversation you and I would have over a table and a, over with a cup of coffee, same thing with an audience. So I'm speaking with you and I say something and you nod your head or you smile a little. I'm like, oh, cool. She's engaged with what I'm saying. We're together here. You you cock your head a little bit to the side. I'm like, okay, I just said something she doesn't understand or doesn't. I said it in a way that's confusing. I confused her. Let me restate that. You get those feedback. We do that every day. Same thing with your audience. If my audience, most people are nodding up and down. Now I'm confident. I'm connecting with them. They're getting it. We've got something going on here. Mm. But if most people cock their head a little bit, I'm like, wow, what did I just say? And how did I say it that no one understood it? It's not their fault. It's mine. So mm. how do I restate that and make it uh, more acceptable to them Yes, where, where they can process it? Because sometimes that feedback. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you want the audience to know that you're connecting with them and looking you know, looking at them and speaking to them. And how would you recommend say say they're bombing and it's just not going well? How does someone turn that around? If it's not going well, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath a lot of the times. So if you're nervous, take a deep breath. Uh, diaphragmatic breaths. If if you've given birth to do yoga, you'll know it as cleansing breaths. Do that. That'll help calm your nerves. It also gives you time to think. And gr one of the other great things invented for speakers is water. Or as we say here in New England, water. So go over, have a sip of water. Let everything calm down, especially your nerves. And start slowly. A lot of people think I lost my audience. I have to I have to jazz this up with some energy and get them back in here. Well, if they're lost, it's hard to get them back in here. Like you have to slow down. I always think of it like a carousel, merry-go-round, whatever you guys might call it. Merry-go-round. And what do you call it? I call it a merry-go-round. Merry-go-round. Yeah. So, so that's going around. If it's going around quickly, I can't get on. It doesn't have to stop, but if it slows down, mm -hmm. I can hop on. Yeah. And that's what you want to do. If you lose your audience, if that thing was going so quickly and they all got thrown off the merry-go-round and they want to get back on, you slow down and let them get on. It's natural to think you go faster and get them jazzed up. Now, you got to you gotta get them back on with that connection, and then you can speed up again. Yeah. And if it's higher energy, go back to the higher energy. But you will lose people from time to time. I think understanding that and like you you mentioned about it not having to be perfect and it doesn't because ultimately the audience don't know what you're going to say. No, not at all. And we go, oh, I forgot that. Yeah, you will. Everybody forgets part of their talk. First yeah. of all, don't try to memorize it. You can't. Uh, and, and for those who say, well, actors do it, stage actors do it. Well, they do, but they spend an awful lot of time working on that. Most of us don't have that time. Mm -hmm. Plus, they do it in a very specific way. And don't try to memorize it. Memorize what you want to say, meaning your concepts, your ideas. You don't have to memorize it verbatim, especially if you get a little more gray hair on your head like me. Yeah, you start searching for words. But even if you're 30, if your brain goes, ooh, no, 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 she wants me to say this word and I can't think of it. Let's shut everything down till I can come up with that word for her. So don't memorize it. Just remember the concepts that you want to share with people. Yeah. I always like tell people as well, like don't write it all out in a, an entire script. Like have some bullet points and that way, if you do forget something, it's okay. I think being ac accepting that we will fail at some point and allowing for that. It doesn't yeah. mean that you, just because you've, you've forgotten one bit doesn't mean you failed in an entirety. You've just dropped something and it probably still worked and nobody would have even known. Now, here's a great idea for your, your uh, listeners, Natalie, is that know that you're going to forget things and that's okay. Because like you said, no one knows exactly what you're going to say. You can move on. And when you do that, it actually helps you remember what you want to say because you don't have that tension. So just relax, take that breath, 
and be there to serve people, and things keep coming back to you. When you sit down, when you're done speaking, and you sit down, you will say to yourself, oh my God, I forgot to say this, and it's the most important thing. Now, it's only important because you forgot to say it. Yeah. What you said was fine, because no one remembers exactly what we say. Take any great speech in history. No one remembers whether it was Winston Churchill and they they re, might remember, uh, you know, and they won't remember it accurately on the beaches, in the air, at the on the sea, you know, they remember the essence. Martin Luther King. M most people beyond I have a dream. Can't remember what, what he said, but they remember the essence dream that uh, people of different races will come together, live together happily and the like. That's all you have to remember. So no one has to remember unless they're reciting it. Martin Luther King's entire speech or Winston Churchill's, or you take the person. You don't have to remember the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Same thing with us. Why do we have to remember exactly what we want to say? We just have to remember the essence of it, the mm -hmm. concepts. It's like that saying, people won't remember what you said to them, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm glad you bring that up. And I, I love that quote. And one of the things we don't think about as presenters is how we're going to make our audience feel. Mm. We think about the information we want to give them. We might even think of how we want them to be transformed. But long before they were CEOs of companies or presidents of companies or managers or whatever they might be, they were human beings. Mm. And we are emotional animals. Even when we're a, a hard and true business person, we don't think with emotions. Yeah, if you're a person, yes, you do. So how do you want to make them feel? Do you want them to feel confident? Do you want them to feel energized? Or if it's a sales meeting where we're not hitting our quotas, do you want them to feel a little nervous and light a little fire under their butts? That if I don't hit my quota soon, I'm not going to have a job. How do you want to make them feel? Now you know what words to use. I know with some of my clients, I have to use words that show empathy all mm -hmm. the time. I have other clients who used to be professional athletes who you can get right in their face. And it's like, no, stop <laughs> it. Do this because that's what they react to. Yeah. You have to know who they are and how you want them to feel. And you can do that. If I said to an ex-hockey player, oh, I understand how you feel and I want this. And I'm thinking of one in particular. He'd be like, get out. <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> Just tell me what you want me to do. That doesn't mean all hockey players are that way. Others, you might have to coddle a little. Mm -hmm. But that's what you need to know, who they are, how to treat them, how you want to make them feel, and most of all, how they're going to benefit from our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask people that. So, so how's your audience going to benefit? Well, you know, I really don't know. I just want them to have this information. Like, well, wait a minute. Do you agree that they have to benefit? from it? Well, yeah. Well, if you don't know how they're going to benefit from your talk, they'll never know. Mm -hmm. It's our understanding you have to know first. first. Yeah. So those are the things you also want to think of, whether it's one person, five people, a hundred people. Amazing. I'm giving an example of that with one person. I know how I want my wife to feel, especially when I, I want to get my way. <laughs> If so I want to bring a larger point. TV into our house, which suddenly becomes her living room, then <laughs> I have to know what type of it. If she had a hard day at work, this is not the time. So we do that instinctively mm -hmm. when we're conversing on what we think is a normal everyday basis. Same thing when you're serving your audience. Yeah, that's a really great point because we do. We do that because we we want we want them to feel a certain way so definitely something that needs to go into the preparation of any any talk so you wrote a book called the captivating public speaker i did it came out last august yeah it is won multiple awards which wow. i'm never expected but thrilled about more Amazing. than that it's selling very well which again i'm thrilled about but not just because of the income because I know it's helping a lot of people. Yeah. So what that was a labor you, of love. 
Well, well, I imagine um, that's on my list of things to do is to write a book. What prompted you to, to write it? Well, I used to own a publishing company, so I'm fairly familiar with the process, which is why it took me so long to write it. I knew what the <laughs> process was right. and I really didn't want to go through it. But I now that it's over, I look back and say I loved every moment of it, even the moments I wanted to rip my hair out. But again, that's a legacy. And I'm 65. I'm not going to be working a lot longer, maybe another three, four, five years. So that's a legacy thing. It will be there. It follows my system of working with my clients mm -hmm. exactly. So people can pick it up and know how I'd work with them. They don't get the feedback, which is the only difference with a book or uh, online courses. Yeah. But uh, other than the lack of feedback, you get the knowledge and you can be transformed from either a nervous speaker into a confident speaker, from an uh, an awesome speaker into a tremendous speaker. It can take anybody from any situation and bring them up. And the other part, I, I wrote it in a modular fashion. So you can read it from cover to cover, which is what I suggest because it builds on itself. Mm -hmm. But you could also say, you know, I really want to work on my voice and the tone and pausing and all these different things. And I want to work on that. So I'll just open up that chapter right now. And you can do that because it can stand on its own as well. Brilliant. That's a brilliant way to give a practical solution for people. Because sometimes you do just need to go back to one point. Um, and you you make a good point there about the, the voice, the tonality, pauses. I think they're sometimes overlooked. And I mean, I'm, I've been guilty of it. And I can speak very, very quickly because I get excited. So I'm like... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that happens. So, yeah, it addresses things like that. And I'm very much about not only the how, but the why. Mm. Because the how helps you in that specific instance. The why you can take and put in all different instances and understand why you're doing something. So you not only get the how, but you get the why, so you can use it more broadly. Mm. Uh, the the coolest thing I mentioned, it's one of few uh, awards, is it's up for another award. I'm a finalist. So while we're recording this, I just made my flight arrangements, hotel arrangements, and all to go to London. Yay! The, the book's up for the, the business book of the year, international business book of the year. So amazing. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. When, when is so, that? May 15th, May 16th, 16th, May 16th is the gala. It's a formal yeah. black tie affair. And uh, so I'll be over in London for that and see if I win. The funniest thing about that is there are 11 finalists. Two of us are from Rhode Island. And you and I talked about Rhode Island only being 50 <laughs> miles by 24 yeah. miles. Internationally, no <laughs> two of us are from Rhode Island, and we know each other. So, uh, which was kind of cool. I didn't know he was a finalist. He didn't know I was a finalist. And then someone brought it up to him, saying, "Did you know you and Peter George are both finalists?" And then he contacted me and said, "Did you realize it?" I'm like, no. <laughs> so it was kind of cool well, that that would happen. That's but really amazing. Yeah, I'm excited. So I'll spend a few days in London. I haven't been there in a little while. Yeah, whereabouts in London? That's my hometown. Uh, Wembley. Okay. Wembley, right across from Wembley Stadium is a, a conference hall or yeah. something on that idea. And it's right there. Ah, exciting. Ah, well, I hope you win. Well, thank you. Thank you. So do I. But, you know, it's going to be cool anyway. Yeah. I mean, even being a finalist is an amazing achievement. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. I, I was like surprised. I'm... Amazing. So if you could give the listeners one top tip for being more confident in themselves, what would it be? Pretty much what we've been speaking about. It's not about you. It's about the audience. If you can put that in your head and keep it in your head and realize you're there just to serve them, to give them what they need to make a difference in their lives, business life, home life, whatever it is, health, whatever you're speaking about. Make sure it's about them. You can tell stories about you, but then you have to turn around and say what that means to you or why that matters to you. If mm -hmm. I just tell a story and it's not helping them, then they're going to miss the point. 
So yeah. you can you can make it about you in a story. You just have to turn around and make it about them in the end. Yeah, amazing. It's all so about them. It is all about them and re- remembering that. And then that takes the pressure off and alleviates some fear. So they'll have Helps in so many ways. Yeah, amazing. And where can people follow you, find you? I, I'm a fan of online stalking, just not in person. They can find me at Peter George public speaking.com. Brilliant. We'll put all of the links in the show notes and you have a podcast too, don't you? Public speaking. I with do. George. Um, I highly yep. recommend that the listeners go and check that out as well. Cause you'll get lots more tips and you have some amazing conversations with people too. Yeah. Some tremendous experts come on and it's not just about public speaking per se, the using your voice words and the like, it's also the business side of public speaking. Mm. So experts from various aspects of the industry come on. Brilliant. Because it can help to propel your business so much. And I think it's a fantastic tool that we should all learn and, and use in, in one way or another. So there's there's lots of reasons to do it. So if you're listening, get off your backsides <laughs> and <laughs> do some practice. Can I tell you one quick story about something that relates to that? Yeah. Yesterday, I got a phone call from a woman. And she said, I want to talk about being coached. And I said, okay. And I always ask people, what made you either pick up the phone or send, schedule it on the computer? And she said, I'm 50 years old. I just turned 50. And you go through all those mental gymnastics when you hit a, a, another decade. And she said, I realize I've turned down two great jobs recently. And this is a person who's fairly high up in, on a corporate ladder. I've turned down two promotions, well, one promotion, one opportunity in another company, because they would require me to speak more, and I don't want to do that. And she said, and I realized the day I hit 50, which was a few days ago, that I'm holding myself back out of fear, and I'm not going to continue to do that. So we start working together next week. So don't let fear hold you back. You will regret it. As I tell my two kids... Never be on your deathbed saying, I wish I had. Mm. I've always said that as well. Life's too short to be miserable. And you'll yep. regret the things you didn't do more than the things that you did. Exactly. Exactly. So, yep. Plus, the more you do, the more stories you've got to tell when you're public speaking. Yeah. You know, it's it's just have fun. It's life. Life isn't meant to be taken terribly serious, seriously. Mm. In some instances, of course, but yeah. just have fun with it. Definitely. What's what do you what's the most fun thing that you do? Outside of work? Yeah. Yeah. There's life outside of work? Yes. My wife says I work too much. <laughs> Even though she owns her own company and, and works a lot. She says I work too much. Uh my my favorite thing, uh we love my well, my favorite thing is spending time with my wife. My wife's my best friend. Nice. Has been for 30 some odd years, 32 years. And we hike a lot on the weekends. We kayak. Uh, we travel just yeah. to go see places. Just And I drive a sports car that's a convertible. And nice days, we just like to get in the car and drive for a few hours and then come home. Uh, so I think my favorite thing is spending time with my wife. Oh, that's lovely. I hope she knows that. <laughs> she knows that. <laughs> yeah, she'll get cocky if she knows that. So I, I keep her on. No, she knows. Yep. And I think she would say the same thing. I think. I'm, you think? You hope. I have to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my favorite thing. Amazing. So, in one sentence, um, tell people the biggest benefit to being a better public speaker. I'll use a quote by Warren Buffett, the investor. He's done okay in his life. If he hadn't given away half his fortune, he'd still be the wealthiest man on the planet. He says to be. more valuable to yourself, your career, and your your company, if you work for a company, yours or someone else's, become a better public speaker. You will increase your value, he estimates, by 50%. Amazing. So if you're worth $100,000 or 100,000 pounds or whatever it is a year, well, now it's 150. Yeah. Well, if that doesn't tell you to do public speaking I don't know what does so I think that on that note I think that's a perfect way to end this amazing conversation I very much enjoyed this I hope you have too Peter 
very much, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no, it's, it's been, been an pleasure. absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. Make sure you follow Peter. All the links are in the show notes. Go check out his podcast and his book. And um, where you, again, I've just said this, but I'm going to say it again because I am in the show notes. <laughs> but um, if you've enjoyed this, please do share with your friends, family and loved ones and even the people that you don't like because they'll get benefit from it too. Because don't forget, it's all about helping other people. So thank you very much and um, we'll see you on the next one.